Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the NSL model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, just as long as we never stop learning. NSL Double Talk featuring Brett Heyman and Tabitha Simmons. Their topic today is fashion, the creative process, and making products people love. Brett is the founder and creative director of Edie Parker, a handbag, accessories, and home decor brand for anyone in the know. She is a former PR director at Gucci who used her expertise in fashion and irreverent style to create her own company. Brett's vintage-inspired clutches and handbags sprang from her love for mid-century style and quickly became a favorite among celebrities, influencers, and tastemakers. She was also noticed by the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, where she was a finalist in 2014. There may not be a single person left in Hollywood who hasn't worn her bags on the red carpet. Yet in 2019, she also launched Flower, a premium line of luxury cannabis and smoking accessories. Tabitha is a British fashion designer, stylist, and magazine editor. She started her career as a model and pivoted into wardrobe styling. Today, she's a contributing fashion editor at Vogue and throughout her career has worked with the most sought-after fashion photographers and directors. Tabitha also consults with numerous brands and designers, including Calvin Klein, Dolce & Gabbana, and Fendi on their seasonal collections, runway shows, presentations, and fashion campaigns. We are so excited to welcome Brett and Tabitha to NSL Double Talk. Hi, Brett. Hi, Tabitha. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. And you? Good. Very happy to be here with you today talking about Fashion and footwear, handbags, creativity. Accessories. Yeah, exactly. That's a better <laughs> overarching statement. Being mothers and business owners, all that good stuff. I know. It's a lot. It <laughs> a sure lot of juggling. A lot. How do you manage all of your things? Because in addition to having your own amazing footwear company and being a mother of three, I believe, you also still do styling and lots of other good things. I think you have to be really, really organized. I don't think you just sort of wake up one morning and go, oh, today I'm going to style or today I'm going to work on my footwear. So I always make sure that I have a real plan in the season. So from the start to the finish. And what about you? How do you how do you manage everything? Not at all organized. I'm really the opposite. I feel like I just accept that there are certain responsibilities I have, whether it's motherhood, work, being a wife, self-care, and I don't get to do all of them all the time. So I feel like if I'm having a good week, I'm doing three out of the four things well. Sort of just accept now that I'm always slightly failing in something. Or feeling guilty at something. Like well, you're not, you're, you're either guilty because you're not with your kids enough or you're guilty because you're not with your shoes enough. Right. Or, and I think so there's a, always something that's like a miss. Right. And isn't that a female thing? Because I think my husband never feels that kind of guilt. I don't mean to put him down, but I just feel like he doesn't walk around feeling constant guilt about doing something. No, definitely not. I, I think that is a definite motherhood, constantly feeling guilty, trying to juggle a business the people that you work with, and um, so it always gets really tough. Totally. Do your children make you feel guilty? Mm, no. 
but they don't get very excited about what I do but they have no interest whatsoever because they're two teenage boys and luckily now I've just had a girl who's two who's very excited about fashion but like I was taking him around I was like mummy made these shoes and he was like oh did you make the table I was like no I didn't make the table and he would have been very impressed about me making a table rather than shoes so they're not very excited about what I do. No, but I feel like that's the job of a kid, right? To always keep it real for you. <laughs> if you think you've succeeded, I'd be much more impressed if you did woodworking. Exactly. Or when I asked them to come to Milan and go and walk down the cutwalk for Dolce & Gabbana and Dylan, Dylan uh, Elliot was like, I can't fly all that way. He's like, and walk on a carpet for 10 minutes. I have a Latin test to do. I was like, I would have been trying to get out of a Latin test under everything. And he he sort of chose his Latin exam over me. Well, kudos to you. You must be doing something right. That's impressive. I don't think my kids would pick Latin over that. And what about you? How do you start your inspiration? And Because your bags are always so incredible and they're so imaginative and use of colour and... And they, they always such a, have such a sense of fun about them. Like, how do you find all your inspiration? Well, that's nice of you. Thank you. Um, I think so much of my inspiration is derived from being in this city, meaning, like, you can't go anywhere without seeing incredible artwork or incredible color, incredible architecture. And I think you probably feel this way when you are slightly creative. Everything I see, I'm like, oh, that would be a great bag or that would be a great home item. Not always successfully. I mean, there have been plenty of collections where I've gone too far thinking this would be a great bag. turns out you don't need pictures of tents on a handbag. It's not (laughs) entirely useful. So I think it's that balance of seeing inspiration everywhere you go, but then sort of tunneling it so it's a little bit useful and, and hopefully commercial. What about you? Well, I'm pretty much the same where there's never a one spot of inspiration. I've made shoes out of pieces of furniture or a chandelier that I've sort of seen and thought, oh my gosh, that would make an amazing shoe. And, you know, I mean, we sort of have quite a large collection and we go through maybe two or three prototypes before we get to the the main sort of sample. And, um, you know, we sort of have our dead donkeys that are not so great and haven't been successful. But I always like that sort of stage where that you can feel like experimental and try new things in that prototype stage, which I really like. And I love getting resources from from many different places. I mean, obviously in England, I get a lot of inspiration because I guess that's my roots, that's where I grew up. And so I always tend to go back there and look and find things. Do you find that the dead donkeys are the ones that you love the most? Because that's always what happens to me. Do you know what? I have spoken to so many people in, in such different sizes of businesses that have humongous businesses and that's exactly the same their favorite item never seems to see the light of day never never how do you reconcile this concept because i think we have similar brands in this way where they're luxury brands and they're i don't mean this in a pejorative way but they're frivolous you know they're beautiful but they're not utilitarian necessarily you don't need a lot of clutches and you probably don't need a lot of high heels with beautiful lace and and floral motifs. So where do you see the future with items that are really 
kind of luxuries? Like, where do you think the future is going with our brands? When I started my business 10 years ago, I set about to do shoes that weren't necessarily for one season. So, for, for example, you know, I see people that have been in my shoes and they're sort of like four or five years old and they're still wearing them and they still look great. So I always think about shoes and accessories they kind of can reinvent your wardrobe. So, for example, if you buy a pair of shoes and you've had this dress for 10 years and it gives it a new life, and I feel like accessories are really important in that, where it's like, you know, you get a a bag where maybe you've worn this dress a million times, but, you know, with your sort of, you know, great bag that you want to wear and it sort of regenerates your whole entire wardrobe. So... I think they're really important more so now than they were before in terms of having quality, things that last, things that not necessarily are going to be for one season of like, oh, I've worn this and now I'm, I, I can't wear that anymore. And I think that's, that's where things are really going. And I think people are looking for a lot more timeless, good quality things that that can last and doesn't have to be you know sort of frivolous and just oh, I'm going to wear this once and then that's it and a lot of our customers buy shoes and then they come back and get it in a different color or because they've they've really like you know liked it it's worn it's lasted a test of time and and that's something that's really important to our brand right I agree and I think that's the thing about luxury that often gets overlooked when people talk about, you know, needing less. People are just buying so much more crap that doesn't last. You know, buy the yes. one pair of Hermione's that I have from you and you'll wear them for 10 years. Yes, yes, exactly. And, I, a, and a clutch that you'll wear. I also think that's why, and again, I don't want to speak for you, but I, there are similarities. I think there's such a sense of optimism and fun in our brands. You know, like it's not just this very serious, somber collection. And of course you have a beautiful black pump and that's very Mm -hmm. useful. But I think when you are making the decision to spend money and when you want to buy something, it's supposed to elicit joy, right? I mean, if you're going to buy something extra, it should make you happy and make you want to wear it for years and years and years. And I think people want things that are a bit different, that haven't been seen a million times. And I think people now are looking for things that are are different. It's not just, oh, okay, I'm going to get that you know, branded bag or, you know, that I can wear for a small amount of time. And so I think people want different now. So Tabitha, you've been in this industry forever, I believe since you were like 13, 14 years old, you've touched every product and every product category. Why shoes? And is there more for the Tabitha Simmons brand? I think shoes probably goes way back because when I was 14 years old, I started working in a shoe shop. My mother made me go and get a job because I wanted to, you know, have my own money. So my first job was um, selling shoes in a shoe store. And my mother never let me wear high heels or I had to wear very like brown lace-up shoes that were really disgusting. And I hated them all the time because I wanted these white pointy pumps that I could never have. And so I guess it really ran deep. And so I've always had a really, really massive passion for shoes. And when I started styling, that was something that I really enjoyed the design process on. I would love to really work with the shoe designers and the accessory designers. And so that was something that I've just always had this ultimate passion for is shoes because I always used to think it really told the the story of the look of what you were trying to say that season 
So why bags? I'll tell you, but I would like to say about shoes, the thing that's so great about shoes and the thing that's so great about being a female shoe designer is that, as you touched on, they really make an outfit. They can change an outfit. They make an outfit. But there's also the the functionality of it, right? So being a woman sort of walking in her shoes, you pay such attention to the comfort factor. Like, you know, we are not women anymore who are just wearing shoes for a cocktail party and that's it. That's the only time we've gone Mm. out today. And then we're going home to take a soak. I mean, we are on our feet all day. We're multitasking. We're picking up kids. We're going to work. So I love the idea that you are designing a shoe for yourself. And I personally would like that white pump that you touched on. (laughs) So maybe you could introduce that. But yes, being a mother of three, and you need to run around. Also, you're on set every day, so you're standing on your feet for maybe, you know, 12 hours a day. So I had to make shoes that were really good looking, were comfortable, because I had to be in them. It wasn't like I was designing them and then walking off and saying, oh, good luck with that, guys, and I'll see you on the next collection. So that's something that I really did take into account. Um, I mean, you're very lucky on that in bags. (laughs) You don't need to worry about a comfort bag. You know, has technology changed in terms of like you have to make sure that you get a phone in your bag and those kind of things when you're designing? Do you have those kind of things in mind of what is going to be carried in this bag when you're designing? Totally. So I'll give you my quick origin story and I'll end on technology. But basically I have a not a totally similar story, but my obsession began when I was young as well. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and from the time I was 12, 13, I would always want to go thrifting. So my mom would drop me off in Mel- on Melrose Avenue at the beginning of the day and she would say, okay, I'll pick you up at the Johnny Rockets. It was like miles down at four o'clock. And I would, you know, take my little allowance money and I would walk up and down all these great stores and I would always buy vintage and I would mostly buy handbags because I went to a uniform school and I did buy a lot of vintage clothing, but not as much as handbags. And I collected all kinds, you know, from acrylic clutches to wicker bags, old magazine bags. And I loved them and I loved researching them and researching the old fabrication techniques. And when I moved to New York, obviously my spaces to live in got much smaller and I had to give a lot of the bags away, but I always kept the acrylic ones. And whenever I wore them, there was always this sense of curiosity, like people would want to know what the bag was and this nostalgia, like they obviously elicited something in a lot of people. Like my mom had a bag like that, my grandma, my aunt, etc. And similar to you, I had a background in fashion, not as comprehensive, but I worked in PR for big houses like Gucci and Dolce and covered accessories. And I didn't think a lot of people focused on evening in the way that they had, you know, in a Mm. different time. And so that's why I started the company. But we manufacture in the same way that the bags were made in the 50s and 60s. And because of that, because we hand make the bags in America, we've been able to be really nimble. So Anytime a new iPhone comes out, we change the specs of the bags because we're not sitting on tens of thousands of bodies, you know, in Thailand somewhere. So, and no matter what you do, I find that even if the bag is the perfect size and we've changed it, there's still a portion of our customer base that won't be happy. Like it fits this, but it doesn't fit that. Or Mm -hmm. can you do this? So I think you just have to accept not pleasing everybody all the time and and doing your best. The great thing about your company is also that you've now really expanded into other categories, which is so exciting. And it just seems such a sort of natural progression, especially because your techniques are so special. So can you talk about your homeware launching into that and what other categories would you like to consider going forward? Sure. Well, in 2016, we launched our home collection, and we did it because every time I would go on the road or go to a trunk show or go to a store, we had a lot of customers saying, 
I love this bag, but it's not an everyday bag, obviously. So when I'm not wearing the bag, I put it on my shelf to display it, or I put it on my coffee table. And I love people ask me all these questions about it. And I heard it so many times that I finally thought, well, I could just make you a box. You know, it doesn't have to be a bag that you're carrying around and then displaying. So we launched boxes and trays and coasters and things that were just really not that plan, just kind of things that made sense within our mm-hmm. material and that complemented what people liked about the bags. And that was successful for us. So we continued to do it. And I think obviously there's a trend in the world that people want to spend more on their homes. They want to spend more on experiences and people's interests are just, you know, it's everything is, is circular. So I think we touched on something at the right time. And as we continue to expand home and think about how I entertained at home or the gals in the office, how they entertained at home and friends and and what we wanted to bring to people. We also now launched a line called Flower by Edie Parker that is, I believe, the first of its kind brand to marry the worlds of fashion and cannabis. And we make these really beautiful high-end cannabis accessories and actually launched a cannabis flower in California. And we're certainly very early, and I think there's a lot of sort of bemused questions like, I'm sorry, you're the brand that makes those expensive, you know, personalized handbags. You're making cannabis. (laughs) But um, I think there's tremendous growth opportunity and a lot of white space. And I think that Mm. I can get on my soapbox about all the benefits of cannabis and and why I'm excited about sort of the momentum that it has. Maybe that's for a different podcast. Or maybe you're giving it a fashion element that it didn't really have. Trying, trying. We're trying (laughs) to romanticize this being at home and this experience and how that can enhance it, whatever that means for you. And even if you don't want to partake, because I'm not, that's not my bag all the time, but just having these beautiful objects that are made and considered in the way that our bags are, which is commitment to craftsmanship and quality and handmade by skilled artisans and in a beautiful decorative way. Um, And that is just something that hasn't really been offered before. What about you? (laughs) I feel like if there was ever a Tabitha Simmons ready to wear collection or a bag collection or a jewelry collection, I would be first in line. So what are your plans for the future? I mean, I would love to do handbags. I've only really collaborated and we did a coach collaboration recently. So that was my first ever crack at a handbag and um, and it did very, very well. Congrats. So um, now I'm like, wait, this is actually really good. And so it is definitely something that I really, really want to explore. I'd love to explore into small leather goods. and But I have no interest in ready to wear whatsoever. It's something that I'd to create a dress or... A, a jacket or anything like that I find completely overwhelming because I like working with a certain amount of space you know shoe is a very small area so I just that I find very overwhelming to make the whole entire ready to wear I did do an equipment collaboration one time with ready to wear but I found it really difficult yes, it it's was a different really skill. really difficult I don't think I'd be that good at it I'm very good in terms of my strengths in terms of telling designers what I think and trying to sort of narrow things down and making them more like to their house. But to actually sort of do a ready-to-wear collection, I'd be terrified. (laughs) I also would like to say for anybody listening to Tabitha, if you don't know what she looks like, Google her. Nobody wears hair accessories quite like you. I feel like you're amazing and that you also (laughs) need to launch hair accessories and jewelry because you always look amazing in them. I've always got some crazy headband on or headpiece for the Met Ball. Exactly, or some crown that somehow you're like, oh, that looks normal. Hi, Tabitha at the supermarket and your crown. It's really really true. And that's the thing, and we didn't mention this, but I feel like 
both of our brands really are reflective of our personalities and things that we wear. And I think mm. that's when people are successful, especially to people who want to launch new businesses, like making something that you really stand behind, you really believe in, you yourself would really want to wear is so important because you're not going to be everything to everyone. I know that my product is not for everybody, yeah, but I true. really stand behind it and I love wearing it and I get excited and I think that really shows. And I feel like if you made crown headbands, <laughs> you'd, be, <laughs> you'd be representing all day long. But it is true. I always think that you have to stick to what you believe in. And I think that is so important. And you're definitely right if you're thinking about starting up a business it's you know you have to sort of stick by your guns and, and stick to what's true to you like if you don't believe it why are you expecting your customer to believe it so I I think that is so important and when I was starting my company I think I started in the worst time which was 2009 and like thank goodness I didn't listen to anyone because they were like you're crazy you're crazy this is um so I think you just have to really stick to your guns stick to what you believe in and go for it yeah. And, and further to that, people often ask me what my failures have been, and there are many, but I think... Oh, I have a whole list <laughs> yeah, of sure, failures. Please. I don't even remember On them. On every day. Every, well, that's exactly right, every day. But I think like... most important for people who, again, if you're thinking about starting something, I think this idea that you can be everything to everybody is impossible. So mm. when we started, we were very specific, very niche, and that allowed us to grow really fast because we were filling a need in a white space. Mm. And and then when you listen to retailers and editors, they're like, okay, well, now you have to have 10-day bags and a backpack and, and a tote bag. And we really tried to expand so quickly. And nobody wanted that from us. You know, there yeah. were so many of those bags on offer. There was so much competition. And people didn't look to us for that. So I think being specialized in what people want from you and just improving that all the time is the key to longevity. No, I think so too. Absolutely, definitely. Because you are right. There's a tote bag. There's a million different tote bags out there. There's a million different backpacks. There's, there's, there's so There's a million many, different everything. Everything. So how do you make a noise on social media? Because there's so much out there. There's so many, you know, mega brands that have millions and millions around, you know, sort of in marketing and advertising. And how do you kind of make a mark with all this sort of noise of thousands of different products around? I mean, how does that, how does that work? How do you approach that? I think it's one of the biggest challenges for small brands and why so many small brands have sort of gone away is because you're competing with literal mm. billion-dollar budgets, you know, from the likes of like a Chanel. And I don't think Saint Laurent's as big, but these are hundreds of... your... Yes, like exactly. Always, All the big brands, that is what they're spending their money on, and it is impossible to cut through that noise. And I think what you can't do especially if you have a lean team, is get on every platform and do these sort of very disingenuous, very off-brand mm -hmm. things. So like, I'm not on TikTok, I'm not on Snapchat, because it makes no sense with our brand and I don't know how to do that. Instead, what we focus on are things that feel true to me and to our brand. So doing little video series that like I think are hysterical or super cheeky. Again, they're probably lost on a lot of people or they're like, they don't think they're funny, but they've been successful for us. And we certainly don't have the biggest follower count in the world, but slowly we grow and you grow the right audience. I think mm -hmm. people who agree with you or like your style or like your humor, like your product. And I think that's kind of the point of community building, which as you said, because there's so much noise and there's so many brands out there and there's so much everything, you have to have a community that's interested in what you're doing. 
Yeah, that's very, very true. I am on TikTok and I am on Snapchat, but I think that's due to my teenage boys, not due to my company. But yes, I think it's really, really important. And I think with us, we've been really lucky where we've had a lot of red carpet and we've had really great influencers in, you know, sort of our shoes, which has been great because then they've like Instagrammed it or so. So that's been really helpful for us going forward. And then with me, it's been all the sort of collaborations that I've done. So we did, you know, coach collaborations. So that enabled us to be on their platforms and you know, sort of send it out to their sort of mass following. And then also now we've just done Puma, which has been a really big one for us because we've never really done sportswear or we've never got to do a sneaker, which was really, really great. So those things have been really, really key for us. And I think my first one was Tom's. And I just happened to meet him at a footwear conference, which was very odd. And then it was great because I met with him and then I went on a giving trip with him and it was a really, really precious sort of great collaboration. It took me a long time afterwards to sort of find right collaborations. So, And then it's like I like helping, you know, younger designers and working on their catwalks or their, um, sorry, runway. <laughs> for their um, runway shows. So in that aspect, it's been really, really great because then you're piggybacking off other people's sets as well. Like, So that's been really, really helpful for, for us. And also I love collaborating. Like, I love being able to do a sneaker when necessarily I couldn't do one because, you know, the volumes are massive. Is catwalk a word we're not supposed to use anymore? It's the British form of runway. No, I, I think it translates. <laughs> um, I was like, <laughs> look. I think the thing that's... It's like saying trousers, opposite also pants. Also, I get it. <laughs> okay. I think um, what's so great about your brand is that you are able to do all these different kinds of collaborations. Like your brand aesthetic is so strong and so recognizable that it works for Tom's. It works for Puma. And I think what's also important is that you do collaborations for different reasons. So some of them are probably like more lucratively inclined, like a coach or a Puma. I have no idea what those deals look like. Well, coach, it was really interesting because the biggest criticism that we always get is, Tavitha, your price point. I would buy so many more of your shoes because of your price point, your price point. And so it was really great to be able to work with someone that had a much cheaper price point and it was great being able to sort of offer a $150 shoe. So that was fantastic for me and to see whether, you know, it worked. It was great that you get these opportunities to do things that you never normally would be able to do maybe in a smaller brand. I'm so glad you brought up price point because I feel like we get that criticism all the time mm, too. People it's my commenting. Only one. It's your only criticism. That's <laughs> amazing. Um, I'm sure there's others, but no. But I find that so disheartening because certainly when we set out, we didn't set out to make this very expensive product. No. You have to be a little aware as a consumer too of why something's expensive. So for us, we use these very fine materials and we hand pour them and then everything is handmade. And we're, we manufacture in the US and in Italy and people are getting paid living wages. They're getting paid health insurance. Mm. 
And that kind of attention to detail and paying for labor costs money. So I think we have to be careful because we can't say we really want people to be treated well and we care about the impact of our product, but not also acknowledge that that costs something. And so maybe you're buying less of something, but you're buying, there's a a human component and a quality component that has to be talked about. And I don't think we've done a good job about messaging that because our brand's so fun and it's funny and everything's funny, but that is really important. And I wish that more people knew that. That's a really good point too, because I feel like that's sort of pretty much the same with our shoes. And, you know, we use the best leather we make in where Chanel and Fendi make their shoes. And obviously, you know, their hand is so incredible that I don't really want to go to, a, a, you know, a factory that doesn't offer the best quality. It's a really, really important right. aspect. But the people that are touching your product in those factories, they've been trained over generations. Yeah. So it's not just the material. It's that that is a skill that people get paid for yeah. there, as opposed yeah. to people in other countries yeah. just in these terrible conditions or they work for a few months to be able to leave. And all the factories that we make our shoes are all family businesses. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the owner is the father, the sons work there, and, you know, the, the guy's like nearly in his 90s and I want to do whatever he's doing because he looks literally like he's 60 and it's really amazing to sort of go and see them work and work amongst family too so it's it's a real family business and it's very generational as well so sometimes I get worried because all those artisans are becoming obsolete because there's no one being trained for lace or crocheting or any of those handcrafted skills that seem to be sort of disappearing because no one's getting replaced by them. That's exactly right. And it's really important, I think, especially now more than ever, to really try and keep those artisans going. Right. Which is why I've put Chanel down for their marketing budget, but I will give uh, (laughs) kudos to those kinds of brands like Chanel that are buying up a lot of those old factories to keep them going. The people that they work with, the artisans, they... The embroidery. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they scoop them up to keep them alive. So good job, Chanel. (laughs) Yeah, well done. (laughs) Touche. Well, Tabitha, as always, it is so delightful to speak with you. You have taught me more yet again. I love learning about your experiences. No, it's been so nice. Thank you. And thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you, Brett. For conversations you can't ignore, subscribe now and never stop learning.